0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Top Ranked Podcast. On today's episode, we have Erica Larkin with us today. Erica is a PGA professional and YouTube and Instagram personality. She's received a ton of accolades, such as repeatedly appearing on the list of the top 50 kids' teachers. She was named the top golf pro by The Washingtonian and the number one golf coach in Virginia multiple times by Golf Digest. She's the author of A True Swing and the director of education at the club at Creighton Farms. And it's an honor to have her here on the show today. Erica, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on.
0: No, thank you so much for coming here. I mean, uh, look, I've been a fan of your stuff for a while. I've been doing a lot of your uh, tips and tricks and drills at home. And uh, I'm going to give you a lot of credit here because it was after your uh, head, shoulders, knees and toes Instagram video that I broke a hundred for the first time, which was absolutely <laughs> amazing. So <Wow.
1: laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's just elementary stuff, right?
0: <laughs> it, it absolutely is. And look, I'll throw this one out there and we'll talk more about it later. But um, I'm reading your book right now, which is also fantastic. And uh, this is what I'll say is that i i've read a lot of golf books you know a lot some of it history some of it on the psychology stuff you know i read tiger's book about how he plays the game the compliment that i'll give to you is that after reading tiger's book i came away with knowing that i'm not tiger woods but you know with your book i'm walking away actually with you know a lot of new methods and uh tips and tricks that i can try at home so uh, you know. i'm glad
1: to hear that, <laughs> to hear that. So, yeah i tried i tried to write it for the you know everyday golfer that's uh, out there looking for answers trying to understand their swing better and uh, understand the golf swing better and so hopefully that's you know that comes
0: across well it totally does because you have a very easy style of writing where you know you really explain things very simply you give very easy ideas you have the photos to show you what to do and on top of that you know for the folks that follow you on youtube and instagram a lot of the stuff that in the book is also up there so you're able to see those videos and follow along um, which it's great Um, but anyway I want to jump right in over here I want to start talking a little bit about your history so you talked the the first time you ever played you were eight years old and that was you and your family discovering the pitch and putt and flushing but neither of your parents knew how to golf and this is not exactly an easy sport so I I mean did you go and I, I mean were you just an immediate natural and you know had some sense of what you were doing out there
1: uh, I was an athletic kid, uh, things, you know, skills came easy to me uh, for the most part, fairly coordinated, you know, as as uh, I guess just lucky to be that way. So I guess I took to it pretty quickly. Uh, and I don't know how much that's saying because we didn't really have any kind of bar to compare ourselves against uh (laughs) other than what we were watching on tv and seeing in magazines so you know for pitch and putt all we knew is what the scorecard said and uh, we knew our goal was to try to get a three on every hole and Mm -hmm. you know for two years we played pitch and putt trying to figure out how we could make make a three on (laughs) every hole how often were you
0: going out there to play
1: often um you know at least once a week probably in the beginning and and uh as time went on it was maybe a weekend activity but we eventually got out there you know more often than that it was a couple subway stops
0: away so well you gotta um, figure that gives you a pretty good solid foundation for your short game just doing the pigeon putt all the time
1: yes yes for sure and and I think that as a younger um child a small person you know that it wasn't overwhelming or it wasn't um intimidating at all so if all I had was just two clubs it wasn't a matter of, am I choosing the right club? It was one choice, figure out how to use it, figure out how to manipulate it and adapt it to fit every shot that was out there for me. And being an eight year old and having uh, basically, you know, at maximum, maybe an 80 yard shot out there, there was never a time where I was trying to overpower a club to get it out farther than somebody that was standing next to me. I mean, we were all trying to hit the green in one shot and that was doable as an eight, Mm -hmm. nine year old to hit a 50 yard shot or a 60 yard shot or an 80 yard shot. Uh, even with just a wedge, right? So I think that having only two clubs, having a short course, and just trying to have to figure it out from there was probably the best foundation I could have ever asked for.
0: You know, it's funny, I'm just thinking, is that pitch and putt still there? Like, have you gone back to it?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's been a number of years. I actually said to myself, you know, maybe this year, or if I can figure out a way to, to get back up there, that I'd like to go back and play it now. It's been... I don't know, the last time I played it might have been in the early 2000s. So Mm -hmm. it's been a while, but it is still there. I still still see people posting about it. And I have some friends up in New York that do go and play and it's still there. So,
0: yeah. That's pretty cool. I'd love to get back. Now, now you grew up in Queens, which, you know, it's not exactly an area that's the most conducive to being able to, you know, train for golf. So besides going to the pitch and putt, you know, once a week, were you also coming up with drills and stuff to do at home to get better?
1: Yeah, so we, uh, we would swing the club in our apartment, and I just, we had a carpeted area kind of between the coffee table and the television, like, in our living room. And we had high enough ceilings, luckily, we could swing there. Um, so it was just enough space. We would get out the early, you know, camcorder that we had and, uh, film ourselves and just try to see what we look like. Uh, that, I mean, honestly, we would, I had a little putting cup, one of those ones that spits the ball back to you. Yeah. So I would put on the low profile carpet that we had at the time and just do, I don't know how many in a row I could make. So it was very basic, but, uh, it, you know, was a way that I got swings in, in between getting to the golf course. There was one driving range, basically one in Queens that we would go to. And I I was actually looking recently to see if there are more now and there really aren't. Uh, Maybe one other one that's popped up and it's closer to Brooklyn, but the amount of people all fighting for tee times and fighting for those driving range mats and stuff in New York is crazy. So we were competing there to get practice time in and I would have to wait sometimes at the range, you know, wait for a spot to open up and try to make the most of it. So I think it was always quality over quantity uh, and a lot of stuff, you know, done at home, thinking about my swing feeling stuff without getting a ton of reps in. Mm -hmm. So not having the access to a golf course in my backyard or, you know, a nice facility to practice at probably made it more, appealing you know or more interesting and attractive to pursue it it's like the carrot at the end of the stick you know
0: (laughs) you're almost there you almost have it well well, Um. you can see that sometimes you know especially like i've seen it with my kids where you know if we've done lessons in the past sometimes you know the lessons can be a little bit too much and they end up shutting down but you know to be basically self-teaching yourself which first of all is amazing i mean you know that's incredible i gotta give you a lot of props on that um you know you're able to set your own pace and you're able to set your own goals and really kind of come to it. And the fact that, you know, you took to it so naturally is really amazing. And yeah. so from what I was saying, you only had six lessons at one point, it was like a group of yeah. them, but then you and Frank Darby connect. And so how yep. did you guys actually meet?
1: Okay. So yeah, I, uh, my mom had been asking around who would be a good pro to take lessons from, from my, you know, my daughter, we'd be at the range or we were, you know, at pitch and putt wherever we were. And a couple of people had recommended an older pro that was at a municipal county course in Queens and I went to him and there was no driving range at this facility and um honestly it was sort of a weird lesson experience there was a little tiny uh tea box behind okay. a fence <laughs> that you could hit out onto another fairway on the whole so that was like this makeshift driving range slash lesson t so 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 crazy. And he would watch me hit balls and he wasn't a, a, a great, you know, like junior coach. He probably was used to teaching adults and didn't really have a great style, but <laughs> whatever he told me, I went home and I would like reiterate that to my parents and we'd all practice it. So I remember he took me over to what was the 18th green near the clubhouse. Maybe it was a quiet morning or in between groups. And we were like chipping and putting over there. Cause there wasn't even a, there's no, a lot of these city courses don't have extra space for extra practice facilities. So there was no like standard putting green where you can warm up or anything. So we would just use right. the course and shag balls. And so my six lessons, you know, at the time that kind of just gave me a little foundation to confirm what we had tried to teach ourselves or, you know, there were little nuggets that he told me to, to change and, um. After that, it was like, all right, well, let's just go practice for a while. So there wasn't much, you know, any formal instruction after that for quite a while. And I was playing in junior events in uh, the met section, including out, way out on Long Island uh, in the summertime, they had some in Southampton. So my parents oh, were wow. like, oh, that'd be really cool. We could make a weekend out of it and like go out there and you play in the little tournament and we can, you know, just stay at a local place. And so we did that. And um, I'm playing out there and it was a million degrees outside and I'm trudging along with my bag. And uh, I remember it was one of the first real formal tournaments that I was in. And this one girl in my group got me on so many like rules violations. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. It was just baptism by fire. And um, Frank Darby was uh, a, a PGA professional in the med section and he was helping run junior events at the time. So he's riding around in a cart marshalling and he stops me on one hall, and he says what's that towel on your bag it's a casino park and i was like yeah and he goes that's where i grew up so that kind of just started our friendship is he said you know i'm a queen's boy i can't believe you're like making your way all the way out here and traveling to play it's awesome like tell me more about yourself so my parents and him connected and we figured out that we would you know spend some time together and uh he did help me a little bit with my golf swing introduced me what books I should be reading he introduced me to Ernest Jones which became a huge influence he introduced me to Dr. Bob Bertella and all the uh, you know mental golf books and uh, once in a while would set up like a little nine-hole playing session day and maybe invite another pro like a female pro in the section to join us he became the St. John's University golf coach and he had me come out and practice with like those guys on his team and play some holes with those guys one day so it was sort of this nice mentor friend he literally came to our family dinners like we I still talk with Frank Um, he's a lifelong friend and he helped me with the college process because I had no idea what I was doing with that so I owe a lot to him he uh, became definitely a mentor slash teacher slash friend and You know, for what it's worth, I mean the thing I probably took away from him the most, other than he pointed me in some great direction with different resources to continue to self-educate. But he always just cared, right? As a friend, as a family member would, he would send me a postcard when he was in Florida for the winter, checking in on me or like reminding me what I should be working on. And he would recap, you know, different things we had talked about and send me letters. And at the time it was pre-email, pre-text message, right? So um he just cared. He cared how I did in my tournaments, he would call me after he knew I played in something, how did it go, you know, so the, the, just the setting the example of what a caring coach should be, I think I learned a lot um, from him, he set a good example of what a good PGA professional should be, and, um, and so I think I carried that with me when it was time for me to become a coach and a teacher.
0: I would say it's pretty amazing that, you know, to have that, I mean, not, not everybody gets that type of, you know, mentorship and relationship with a coach, I mean, usually, no, you know, here, for here's some reason the hour and goodbye like that's,
1: yeah <laughs> it was really he went above and beyond and um a lot of it he you know did pro bono he had my myself and he had three or four other juniors that he you know did this with and and um partially I think it was sort of out of the goodness of his heart like giving back you know and then uh, otherwise too he was also getting into the college world and was just it was a good we were guinea pigs at some level for him to help You know, explore what the process was like bringing juniors up through the game and then to the college world. Uh, So, because our my time with him preceded his time at St. John's, so I think it it. was like a good exercise for him, and certainly you know myself and a couple of the other juniors that he was working with at the time in a similar way. Like we all obviously reaped the benefits of his mentorship, so it was really good.
0: That's awesome. Now you got the golf the golf scholarship to James Madison, but were you applying anywhere else, or was James Madison just like you know number one? This is what I want to do.
1: So we had heard about JMU through some other junior girls that were in the Met section who were a year or two ahead of me. And we wondered, you know, where did they apply and what schools were they looking at? So it was really a lot of that um, asking around, trying to get a feel for what schools were maybe good fits for players in our area. You know, um, Mm -hmm. coming out of New York, obviously more of a seasonal type of situation there it's not like i was out of florida playing all year so i wanted something that was going to be a good fit and something that wasn't a plane ride away uh, so we did look at a lot of northeastern and mid-atlantic schools including penn state um, um, princeton um, up in connecticut a couple spots um, university of hartford offered me some scholarship you know so some smaller schools some bigger schools and at the end of the day when i did some visits and, and campus tours and things. I just really liked JMU, uh, James Madison University, you know, the campus itself I liked. It was so rural compared to my upbringing in the city that it was just really different. So I thought it'd be fun to be in kind of that setting. And the campus itself was, was great. It was a six hour drive from home, you know, and a lot of the tournaments that we were going to be playing in were kind of between New York and Virginia. So my parents could visit and uh, if I had to get home so it just made sense and I felt like it was a place where I could play and I could start whereas if I had gone to a bigger school and I got into Vanderbilt actually which would have been mm-hmm. a longer haul but that would have been a school that it would be a lot harder for me um, at the time to have probably competed on as a starting golfer so it was a great school I got into other places but at the end of the day the fit was you know, did I like the school? Did I like the, educa- the education that was probably going to be there and, you know, the curriculum and the programs? And then, of course, um, was golf going to be a fit? And also, were they going to be able to give me any kind of scholarship? So, Jane, you checked all the boxes and it was a great four years. You know, I would I would definitely do it all over again.
0: So now you're on the golf team. I mean, like golf is one of those sports where I feel like it kind of goes through phases. And right now we're in a phase of golf where it's a very cool sport. You know, you see it all over YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. Was it like that, though, when you were at college where, you know, were you just like a sports legend, you know, walking around being on the golf team at that point?
1: In college? Um, No, like, I mean, it's a lot of Title IX stuff going on at the time. And (laughs) it it was an interesting time to be, you know, playing sports in college for sure um luckily you know women's golf was not in danger of of changing if anything they were adding women's programming here and there but um yeah, you know, we're such a small team so we were in sports itself in college and not just jmu i think you're its own like fraternity so yeah athletes yeah. hang out together and so for that reason i feel like among the crowd of athletes people definitely knew who who was who you know you knew who the baseball players were you knew who the wrestling team was you knew who the girls swimmers were and and athletes kind of hung out with athletes, so from that perspective, people I guess knew who I was if you were in that crowd. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I mean it wasn't like a superstar type of thing—not like quarterback <laughs> on the football team or something, where you know who they are.
0: You're not yeah. you're not leading the parade on the way. No, home. No, no, no. no. <laughs>
1: it's okay. I'm okay with that.
0: It's all good. So, but now here's my question though. So after college, how come you didn't go play competitively at that point?
1: Yeah, I left school and had a, a decent career. I think I um, expected to, I think, get to like the next level, my game to get to the next level while I was in college. And even though we played a ton and practiced a ton, um, it just, I don't know. I I had some good events and some better years, but didn't leave college with the confidence that I had what it took to play professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't, my scoring average wasn't low enough. And I think I, I don't know. I just knew what it was going to take to try to play on any kind of tour and try to make it up for a living. And I, I just, it just wasn't in the cards for me. I just didn't feel like I wanted to do it um, Mm -hmm. or that I, I was ready to do it at that point. So I don't know. I, I wanted to just get on with life and um, get into work and uh, have sort of move on from playing I had done a lot of playing and played in a lot of you know crappy conditions a lot of <laughs> snow days and all that stuff and I was kind of like I don't know I think I was over tournament golf and was ready to stay in golf but just get out of the the tournament side of it so for me that wasn't where in my love the love of the game was does that make sense
0: no it, ma- it makes total sense I mean like you know I, I I get it because like I had you know my you know fun time in college and then You know, when I graduated and all of my friends were like, oh, we're going to go to Europe for three months and we're going to go explore. I'm going to take a year off and just, you know, learn about myself. I was like, I'm getting a job. I'm going to go to work. Like, it's it's time. Like, life has to start now. So I I, get that. Yeah,
1: I was ready for life to start, definitely. And um, I moved to Northern Virginia, got a job in marketing for a golf management company and then um, was happy because I felt like I was still in golf, still connected to golf and um, was able to use my degree and be independent and make money and, you know, have, have start start a life, get an apartment, the whole thing. And, um, and it was at that time that then, you know, life had other plans because I got asked to do some coaching uh, on the side. They needed help at one of the courses with like beginner lessons and stuff. And then I said yes to that. And the rest is history. I I just took a right hand turn and went directly into coaching at that point, which I had no intention of when I took that job and was in a different role. I did not think that I was going to be doing any golf teaching.
0: Last thing I was going to ask, you, like, is, is it normal for them to walk into the marketing department and say, "Look, we need someone to come teach lessons. Who's available right now?" Because that, yeah, really no, no, I
1: I shared and I shared an office space at one of the courses with uh, another sales guy and then um, a gentleman, Steve Losher, who really ran the learning center at the facility we had a very small clubhouse and office space so we all kind of shared so we always chit-chatted and he knew my background and you know maybe play nine holes together after work that kind of thing so he's like Erica you know you're fresh out of school you're young like you have extra time um you know enough about the golf swing you're a good player like you could definitely teach these classes and I really need some help this is something you'd consider doing and that's really where it started he just knew I had enough golf-based knowledge and um as a female, he had female students there and he thought it would just be, you know, an easy fit. And, and it's just started with like getting me on board for one series of a class. And then it was, you know, two and three. And before I knew it, I said, all right, like if I'm going to do this, then I can't also do my regular job, <laughs> and figure out how I'm going to teach. Like it has to be one or the other. So, so
0: the, I mean, did they give you a curriculum or were you already developing your own lessons and lesson plans for your students at this point?
1: So, uh, it was a general structure at the time. It was a Nike Learning center and they had like, they called it teed up one, teed up two. And they gave us sort of a general outline of lesson one. You're going to cover, you know, basic, maybe, you know, fundamentals of setup and lesson two, you're going to do this and that. So we would go through the gamut of, you know, full swing, chipping, putting, and, but there was no, um, direct script or anything like from there, whatever I wanted to say about setup was kind of up to me, how I wanted to tell somebody to grip it, how I wanted to tell somebody to stand posture. So I basically was getting my mind around what it was that I was going to teach. And I would create these little like cheat sheets and stuff to organize my thoughts. And then they were handouts for the students. So it was very like pragmatic in my approach there, um, even early on. And when I, you know, again, got excited about like, seeing people develop the new skills and taking a golfer from like kind of zero to having them actually play on the course, which was the whole goal of the program. It was like, you know, in six lessons, this was gonna happen. And then we would do a a scramble and then they come back and come up for come up for the level two classes and then, Mm -hmm. you know, progress. So it was kind of a good way of getting me started thinking about how I could create golfers. And I think I've, you know, been happy doing that over the years in, in terms of, you know, teaching people from scratch and and teaching high handicap players how to play better and breaking things down simply. Like, I think that being the starting point was probably a really good place and, and maybe set the tone for how I ended up looking at coaching um, down the road, as opposed to, you know, maybe if I had said, Oh, I want to get into teaching, I need to go work for a top 100 teacher and then just been you know, put into a situation where I was getting more advanced players or watching um, good teachers teach really advanced players, like that would have probably been more intimidating for me. It was just like baby steps into it and uh, figure it out as I went along. Same thing, kind of a lot of self-researching and self-teaching myself how to teach, watching what other people were doing, asking questions, going to seminars. And just trying stuff out, see what works. It's like yeah. that whole trial and everything, just like teaching, you know, yourself in golf or trying to you figure out what works for you. And the same thing kind of happened on the lesson tee with me.
0: Well, I was going to say, because, you know, for you and the, the, I'll, I'll compliment you here is that you have really an encyclopedic knowledge of golf and golf in general. And, you know, just uh, reading your book and watching your videos, you know, your knowledge of, you know, folks like, you know, Ernest Jones and all of these other players and teachers, you, you've you been able to pull from all of these different, uh, you know, different ideas and philosophies to build your teaching and really kind of make it your own. It's definitely very impressive. So the next thing that I I have to ask is, um, so then you actually become a a PGA certified golf professional. I'm going to ask this one for all the amateur golf uh, golfers out there. How do you actually become a PGA certified golf professional? What, What is that process?
1: Yeah. So you, um, have to take a playing ability test to enroll in, um, as an assistant professional, and there's different requirements that the PGA has made to pass you through what's more or less like a a master's degree in golf. Right. So you have to work through, um, Everything from club repair to um, agronomy knowledge. You know, you have to cover all your bases in the golf business: accounting, merchandising. So there's a whole curriculum that you have to pass through, um, and and do work experience and kind of put together a portfolio that you know how to do all these things. Underneath a current PGA professional who's signing off on on the fact that you're able to have all these skills and these knowledge, um, and then there's the teaching component, and so. As uh, part of the certification, um, you have to film yourself or have somebody observe you teaching to sign off again on the fact that you have basic skills, how to give a short game lesson, how to give a full swing lesson. And there is some in-person education at the time. Now I think so much of it's online, but all in all, just to sum it up, it takes anywhere from probably two and a half to maybe I think four or five years, depending on somebody's pace. Right. Of doing this at home to get to the point where you can finally test through the program and get your full PGA certification. So there's a lot of at home. It's like going to night school, doing night school, um and then you know basically traveling to Florida where the PGA headquarters uh, is and and was at the time, and then meeting with uh, faculty members who basically test you. Um, there's a final presentation that has to be made and. So it's just, it's a, it's a master's degree if I want to kind of try to describe what it is. And for some PGA professionals, they actually do the whole curriculum as a um, double major while they're going through college. So Penn State is an example, and there's a lot of them out there, Methodists, um, where they have a a whole program in school. It's part of your education. I think you do PGM, which is professional golf management. And then the other half is uh, maybe a business minor or they have it. Mm-hmm. structured somehow where you graduate with everything except uh kind of the final stamp of approval from the pga so you basically get a degree in golf right and business so yeah the pga is um it's an association right so after you're done and you have your membership like anything else professional organization you pay dues every year there's continuing education you have to be involved there's sort of service credits and when i go to seminars or when i participate in a regional um, I don't know, event, like let's say there's a First Tee program or a um, charity event or a Wounded Warriors Clinic, like, you know, there's things that they want us to continue to participate in to get credit. So you become a PGA club professional, Class A member, um, you determine kind of where your specialty lies. If you're going to be a head pro, if you're going to be a golf teacher, there's different like sub classifications, And then you have to maintain your membership in good standing if you want to maintain the ability to wear the badge and call yourself a PGA professional, so there's guys that are life members, they've been PGA professionals, you know, 50 years, and the ability to play once you become a member, or even as an assistant before you get your final class A, there's playing opportunities uh, that uh, are local, regional, and then some national, so if you play well and qualify in some of our local club pro events, you could earn a spot to play in the PGA National Championship, and I've known some friends that have been able to do that, so there's ways of also keeping your your actually tournament game alive if you want to but some pga professionals you know choose to kind of not do that and they just focus on their work their job their you know admin management positions or whatever else so well
0: it's kind of like the high risk versus you know the definite where it's like you know the tournaments are more of like okay if i want to focus on this that's definitely the high risk but potential high reward versus you know I've got my job day to day and I know that that is stable and I'm getting a paycheck and you know, that's that.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Some people, you know, have more time to work on their game. They still have a a big passion for that and other people are spending that extra time on the lesson tee. And others, you know, they're, it's a nine to five, they punch out and go home. So like, it just depends on the person like how, where you want to take it. Some people are really, some of our members are super involved in leadership, you know, so in terms of organizing continuing education events or, or have leadership positions, a pre- president, treasurer, things like that in our section, right? So they're organizing mm-hmm. initiatives for our members and coming up with service opportunities and things like that, outreach programs. There's many, many ways to, you know, be involved and, and be a good PGA professional.
0: It's awesome. So now 2010, you opened the Larkin Golf Learning Community. So now was this kind of your first venture for entrepreneurialism?
1: Yes, um, I guess you could say that. So I was an assistant pro at a private club, and then decided to kind of formalize the fact that I was going to go full time into just teaching. And I wanted to give myself some options moving forward. So when I did leave the private club and jumped into a public golf setting, I wanted to obviously have my own little umbrella of a company to put things in, um, create a brand, you know, label, brand my golf academy, which I wanted to grow at the time, and. And I did do that successfully there for about five, six years at um, what was Stonewall Golf Club. So um, it was a great journey. It was it taught me a lot. I obviously had to hire people to help me with uh, teaching, and I had to do all my own books at this point and uh, figure out use that marketing <laughs> skills that I had to you know advertise within the community and um, go to you know local uh, business networking events and really just build my business as a part of the northern virginia community so i did as much of that as i could i would put out my own little press releases on stuff like i was all into building my business and then was also working full-time teaching full-time so uh, this is pre this is pre-children for the most part um but you know the further along i got married two kids um and the business was growing and i had you know three or four people that were on my payroll and we were working together as a team i mean it was great and to the point where the volume was uh, was was building and um, we're almost outgrowing the facility we were at at the time and kind of looking for a new home. And in the process of trying to make that change and uh, moving the business and all that, it's funny how, again, like life just makes you take a right turn or a left turn sometimes. Um, where we moved the academy to uh, was a golf course locally here that um, was being renovated and um, within six months of trying to get some things going there, unfortunately the contract that, um, you know, I, I had was working on with the uh, ownership group uh, fell apart and um, decided that the right thing to do was to leave. So we finished out the season at another local spot and then I had to totally reassess. I said, what am I trying to do here? Do I really want to grow this academy? Is something pulling me in another direction? What else do I want to do with my, know teaching career and it was around that time that I actually knew I'd always really wanted to write a book and I had my two kids at home you know things had been really stressful in running my business and then moving the business and it not working out I decided to like try to simplify everything that I was doing and take a little bit more time to get into some kind of passion projects which was my book. I wanted to get into some content making all these things that I'd wanted to spend more time doing and I just didn't have time for. So I made the decision to kind of like scale back and phase out what was the Larkin Golf Learning Community and go back to a private club, be a director of instruction, teach members, teach guests, you know, build programs, but kind of do it on a much smaller scale And not have the responsibility of like all the business things that I was doing uh, leading up to that point. So I made that decision to like scale down my business and my, my academy brand in order to actually build my own personal um, brand as a teacher, like. It more professionally. So <laughs> it was weird. I like flipped the, flipped the focus kind of back on myself instead of my business. And right. that's really what led me to have the time and the motivation to write my book and then get into now all this content development, which has really been fulfilling.
0: Well, I got to figure because, you know, when you make that move to go back to the private club, you already have like <laughs> a really solid, uh, you know, standing and basis in terms of your own brand, because you know i, I can go through this here, but you know two thousand and ten you know you appear for the first time on the uh the top fifty kids teachers um you know from u s golf twenty eleven uh washington- Washingtonian names you as the top golf pro twenty twelve you're also on the top fifty kids teachers again golf digest puts you on the top 40 under 40 which you stay on pretty much forever um the mid-atlantic PGA, pga names you teacher of the year and then in 2015 you're the number one teacher in virginia from golf digest so i mean i, I can see your business growing but like as all of these accolades come in are, are these all surprises to you or were you expecting this stuff
1: uh you know i was barely like 30 years old uh when I think so 20 2010 I turned 30 (laughs) and I think in 2012 I got that best young teachers award and that was so between those two periods of time I'm working grinding everything out at Stonewall building my business and my GM um, basically nominated me for teacher of the year award for the mid Atlantic PGA I didn't know he did it he did it like secretly behind my back he (laughs) nominated me and I get this phone call saying that I'd been nominated. So I applied. I was like, that's pretty cool. But I never in a million years thought that at, you know, that point in time, I'm 30, 31 years old. Like, you know, I thought I was too young to kind of like earn an award um, like that and be recognized by my section because usually it went to more established teachers. But the G, my GM was amazing. He just wrote this amazing testimonial. Um, saying how much I was doing for the facility. He was so impressed with, you know, how much I had grown traffic there and how I was creating golfers and all of the programs that we were doing. He was just really happy with me there, which was so wonderful. And I, again, I didn't know that he, he did that on my behalf. So uh, between his testimonial and then my application and explaining, I guess what I was doing in terms of um, player development, I, I, Won the section award and that got me on the, um, um, in I guess on the radar, if you will, for uh, Golf Digest to say that you know if you've won a, a section award like that you must mm-hmm. be doing something good. So they then contacted me to apply for Best Young Teachers list and it was the first time that list had ever come out it was 2012. So you know it was a lot of hard work to get the recognition and once I got the recognition the balls just was really, you know, just, it it just snowballed from there, um, which is great. So I was able to get on that list and now I had a, a platform to reach out and pitch content ideas to them. I started getting on camera, doing some magazine tips here and there and got more comfortable with embracing that part of being a recognized teacher is still a young one and still learning but you know i got my mind around okay like i can maybe leverage this more and um did still a ton of networking was able to get in early on with golf channel when they were launching their golf channel academy program Mm -hmm. piloted that with them and then i made the change to go back into the private club world so Uh, left that program, but still came away with like an amazing experience of being able to be on morning drive. So I think that, you know, that first little moment of when everything started kind of really exploding for me was when I won that section award in, um, in 2012. So those couple years, those first couple years at Stonewall and all the hard work, like led to that. And, um, and then from there, I've just tried to, you know, continue to, keep it going, right? Like keep doing things that um, I guess, you know, I feel are are good and growing myself and growing my brand and my business and putting out there what I'm doing. And hopefully that helps more golfers along the way. And and if it helps attract attention from, you know, the higher ups, then great, right? So it's just a win-win.
0: No, absolutely. I I mean, now then going with this, so when you started your Instagram account, which I think was back in 2016, because I went back through a lot of it yesterday. Did you have any idea that that was gonna be, cause I mean, to me, I look at all of your stuff, Instagram seems to be kind of your primary, you know, mode of getting your stuff and material out there. And yeah. I think you're better at Instagram than just about every other golf professional that I've seen out there.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Well, you're welcome because you're, you make your videos and this, this has gotta be your marketing background, but you know, they're very simple, they're very direct, they're short, they're visual. You have, you know, uh, text up there to also help you along. But did you know that you were going to be doing it to that level at that point? Or was it just, I'm getting Instagram and, you know, I have Instagram?
1: Yeah, I really started hitting Instagram harder probably in 2018, actually. So I was probably on there early and posted some random stuff and was more of an observer. And uh, again, just was writing my book and didn't pay a lot of attention to Instagram up until then, like later 2018. And again, everything just happens, you know, for a reason when I... Finally said, okay, you know, I, I've got this book. I really want to market my book better and get it in more hands. How am I going to do that? I was like, I have to embrace the social media stuff. And I just decided that maybe Instagram was a great place to start. Um, and I knew that I eventually wanted to explore other platforms because I hadn't paid attention to Instagram. It was like, well, let me just try it. And there, I knew it was going to be short videos and I could find other ways to hopefully, um, you know, market my book through little bits of content and maybe some advertising So that's really kind of where the, like it started. And when I started making content for the one minute format and realizing that I did better with, you know, more exciting, uh, visually exciting videos, music, graphics, like those were the ones that were getting more hits. It just pushed me to do more content like that. Uh, and to maximize that one minute restriction. Right. Um, and Instagram has changed since even late 2018. So just in, you know, a year and a half now you can do IGTV and you can, um, all the lives that people are doing, like there's just a lot more you can do even within stories. And so there's a lot of ways to use the platform that I've experimented with and I've just had fun doing it. So it became a, a marketing project really, that became, um, a, a hobby slash, uh, I don't even know.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, it's got. I don't. I I, well, I can only assume though that it's driving more and more people to you for lessons at this point because, uh, I mean, let, let's be honest—you're famous. I mean, that's, that's the oh. best way to look at it.
1: Okay, insta-famous. I, I barely. I'm really happy <laughs> with the growth I've had in a short period of time, and so. Um, again, without it's it's hard work, I do a lot of thinking and, and the production and editing and filming and um, it's 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 a lot of work, but I do have fun with it, and I think that shows. And I enjoy the creative process and I enjoy uh, putting it out there, like that final product and, and seeing what people are gonna think. Like I do enjoy that. It's exciting for me. Um, and I don't know. I mean, Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm happy. I'm just, I want to like grow more and, and it's not for selfish reasons. I just think that like I'm putting this content out there and I think it's good. I just want it to like help more people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And look, look, I look on, on the example, it definitely helps. It absolutely does. And you know, I also, I love the fact that like, you know, a lot of your tips and tricks, they're home-based because, you know, it's seasonal in Virginia where you are. And so, like, right. when, when I watch some of these and, you know, you're showing putting tricks using toilet paper, which, you know, of course, now is the equivalent price of gold. But, right. um, you know, or you're, uh, you know, hitting into a Christmas wreath, you know, at your home net, I mean, or, you know, drawing circles on a mirror to make sure your head stays in place. Like, it, it, it's almost like I'm getting a peek into some of the, um, the training that you used to do back in New York when you were a kid. Because I, I guess <laughs> some of these are not newly created. These are things that you did at home.
1: No, yeah. And when I start thinking of, you know, household items and how I've used things over the years, it's like sometimes I'm like, oh, I forgot about that one. All oh, right, I got to do a video on that. I just have this like running list. And other times it's it's new things that happen in lessons and I come up with an analogy or the way I say something. I'm like, that would be a perfect tip. Like That would be a great title for a tip or you know, even a student will come up and be like, well, it feels like this to me. And I'm like, yeah, it does, doesn't it? And then that's like the next tip I end up filming is using inspiration from the actual SMT and and what worked with people. So it's just organic. It kind of flows now. And the creative, you know, juices uh, sometimes are flowing more than other times. There's certainly, you know, um, there's a cycle to it, but it's just fun. And I, you know, enjoy and want to keep doing more.
0: Well, you have to, and you have to do more of the music videos also because the music video parodies are just fantastic. Like, (laughs) I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy those. Those are,
1: those are a ton of work. And I have, I have more in the queue, but I really want to film outside, you know, so I've been waiting to get back to the course here after all this quarantine stuff and like kind of set up some of the videos that I want to do back at the golf course. So there'll be more. Um, I've been working on some songs and lyrics and, Yeah. So there's a few more coming for sure.
0: Are you hearing any word about when they're going to start uh, lifting quarantines by you?
1: So, uh, our golf courses have been open. Uh, I chose to stay home and not teach just to try to do my civic duty and be home with my kids as they've been off from school now, as, as they will be for the rest of the school year. So trying to deal with homeschooling them. So for me, uh, my return date to work will actually be later. I think next week, so we're looking okay. at mid-May. Um, but around here, some people never stop teaching golf. Some golf courses, again, have remained open this entire time. And the at-home CDC guidelines within our state, uh, I think, have said June 10th. So we're still looking at a few weeks weeks okay. before we probably see more opening up of other businesses and things. Yeah, um, but golf is- courses are open.
0: Yeah, we've started seeing a couple of the courses open over here, and it's, you know, to limited, you know, degrees. I think there's like one course uh, by us, Rustic Canyon, that I think is doing it really well, where it's, you know, the cups are elevated, you pay beforehand, right. you can't be there more than 10 minutes before your tea time, and uh, it's walking only, and the flag sticks, you can't touch them, all the ball washers have been removed, right. so it's like, I look at that, I'm like, okay, that might be safe to go out to at that point, but yeah. so, still, still giving it some time for things to calm down a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. So now, but what you are doing though is you're doing virtual lessons. So for somebody who's you know interested in that, how does that work exactly?
1: So, I use a platform called Coach Now, and it's basically like a private uh, we call it a training space, but it's like a little private Facebook page between me and this and every each student. Uh, there are ways to do like groups on there too, but I pretty much use it for just the one on one. So once I create an account for a golfer, they post their swing videos in there. And go in, I record on top of the the swing videos they send with my voice analysis. And I also usually submit a little video for them to see me demonstrating drills that I want them to do. So it's very personalized, customized to whatever the golfer I think should be working on. If they submit full swing videos, then that's what we're gonna be working on. But I've had people do short game as well, like pitching and chipping, if they have some woes around the green, that that's like, you know, an easy thing that they can also get an online lesson with. And we just go back and forth like that. So whether people just want to go for one, one round or they want to go unlimited for a month uh, or more, you know, we can set up a program that makes sense and it's just a, a nice back and forth. I'm always up for doing a virtual live lesson over FaceTime or Zoom and seeing the golfer hit balls live, but not everybody has the ability to do that, especially right, right now in our house. So yeah, Skype or whatever the you know, format is that people want to use, I'm happy to do that as well. And um, you know, just I've had students that just want to talk on the phone and ask me questions. I've done that. So like, whatever you need, you know, I'm around. I'm here. I still have a little extra free time on my hands until I get back to like real lessons outside. And even then, you know, I have my times during the week that I'll carve out for content creation and for online lesson students. And Mondays are a day where I'm like home, kind of working from home. So I try to get you know back to everybody. Um, as often as possible, but you know, there's lots of time to uh, to get with students for sure. Are
0: you going to write another book during this time? No, no that's long. <laughs> no. <a while.
1: laughs> not right now. No, it's it's. I was like, yeah, I was like, a year and a half for me to get the whole thing pulled together. So it's not just snap my fingers and write a book. I have, <laughs> yeah, right. I have. Um, I love it if it was like that. You know, I, I I definitely want to touch on short game. I'd love to touch on somehow. Um, the idea of, you know, speed and distance and power, like how that integrates into what a true swing really is. And I think that there will be something, I don't know if it'll be another book or an ebook or a video series, but there'll be more coming. um, And it just, I got to get my mind around it and take the time and do it. I'm on this, I'm I'm on like a hamster wheel right now between just keeping up with social content and then trying to just do life. <laughs> so
0: uh, I mean, like, let, I'll, I'll, let me give you yet another compliment on your social content, because as somebody who works in, you know, TV and film production normally, like, I know what it takes to do this stuff, and you do it well, and what by the time it's done, it looks effortless, so.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, I appreciate that, man. Um, I don't know. I'm using basic apps on my phone, and filming stuff on my phone, and thank god for iPhones and smartphones because it does make it easy to do it in bits and pieces when i have time and i'm not like glued to my desk in a huge you know editing room trying to do this like it's so easy now to make something i know the the level of what i'm doing is not super professional but it's good enough <laughs>
0: You're you're on par with pretty much everybody else that's out there with, you know, I think the, big, the big difference, you know, being like, uh, let, me, let me say it like this, that there's almost like a rock and roll quality to uh, your videos in that, you know, it, it, they're, they're very creative. They're very, um, it's like very, these intuitive, fun ideas, you're incorporating music and filters and everything like, like, it's rock and roll. That That's how I would look right. at it.
1: You know, I don't, and I don't, I want them to be fun and produced in that sense, but I don't want them to look overproduced because I want people to know that I'm doing it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, we, (laughs) I I think, I think that's part, like, like, I don't assume that you have a team of 50 people behind you doing it. Like, you know, it looks like you're out there and you know, you're living your passion and you're having fun with it and (laughs) you're helping people all at the same time, which is fantastic.
1: Thank you. Thank you. That's very welcome.
0: All right. Well, look, Erica, thank you so much for joining me today um, to see Erica's awesome videos, tips, tricks, and drills. Look for her on Instagram at Erica Larkin PGA. That's Erica with a K or on YouTube is Erica Larkin to learn more about Erica or book lessons. You can check out her website, www.ericlarkin.com and be sure to buy her book, A True Swing, which is available on Amazon. I'm doing some of the drills and already noticing a difference. So Erica, thank you very, very much. Oh,
1: I'm so glad to hear it. Thanks for having me on. It's great it was- to meet you.
0: It was a pleasure. It's good meeting you too. So everyone, thank you very much for tuning in and listening to the Top Ranked Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today or you have any questions, please email me at info at com. That's info at com. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you can hear all the latest episodes as they come out. And thanks again for joining everyone.